So check it out in this episode. You're going to learn about crypto, crypto, and more crypto, how to buy it, how to invest in it, and where it's going. Super excited to be able to interview the financial wizard and crypto king, Brian Decker. This guy has a brain like you wouldn't believe and knows everything about crypto. Tune in. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Let's get it. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Wallet Watch. I am your host, Brian McCauley. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. We appreciate all the love and all the support. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, Wallet Watch is a podcast platform that I put together um, that really focuses on keeping your eyes on your money. Uh, we talk about things around the real estate industry, the mortgage industry, uh, the entrepreneurial life, just really all things financial. And the purpose of this podcast is to help educate um, and instruct and teach people uh, financial secrets and smart money moves. Um, speaking of money moves, today's show is a special one around a huge topic in the financial world, crypto. Um, my next guest is a beast. This guy is a mortgage giant, owns his own mortgage company, uh, has originated like I think 200 or something billion dollars in originations, and is also a crypto specialist. I mean, this guy just does everything. So uh, without further ado, I want to welcome to the show the big bad man himself, Brian Decker. Brian, welcome to the show, man. Uh, thanks so much for having me on, Brian. You know, it's great to be here. I love what you're doing here, man. I love it. I love the the platform that you've decided to put out to really educate people. I think it's just something that we don't teach in college. We don't teach in high school. And, you know, it's I love that you're kind of taking that upon yourself, man. And I, I'm super happy to be on your show. Thanks, man. Well, I appreciate the time. We've got, uh, dude, we've got so much to unpack today. Um, before we do, for the people in the audience that may not know you, give us a little bit of background on you, uh, your time in the biz, all that fun stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my background is actually as a CPA. I went in uh, college, graduated college, became a CPA about two, almost about two years in, decided, you know what? I just didn't want to take 20 years to make partner to, you know, make that six figure income and realized I had two good friends from my college roommates at the time that were slinging mortgages back in the, the heyday of kind of <laughs> 2004, 2005 um, and said, well, if these guys can do it and, you know, didn't barely pass basic math, right. you know, with uh, my accounting background and, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. And so I kind of always went in and got into the mortgage industry and kind of cut my teeth back in 2005. And, uh, you know, just like anything else, I was in my early twenties and, you know, really just kind of focused in on whatever was there, which was, you know, a lot of refinances at the time. And then, uh, the market obviously in 2007, 2008 crashed. And I watched, um, I was, you know, living in orange County, which was kind of the mortgage Mecca, you know, at the time and, uh, really watched the mortgage and entire industry kind of implode upon itself and decided that, all these guys are going to move over to the world of, uh, you know, debt consolidation loans and all these kind of funny business, you know, I'm going to stick with it and kind of treat this as a career. And, um, when the mortgage industry kind of really dried up in 2008, 2009, I just stuck with it and, uh, really sunk my teeth into it and, uh, stayed with it and really focused on, you know, the purchase side of business and kind of took my savings and made a pretty big bet on some, uh, direct mail campaigns at the time, figured everybody else was not doing direct mail, might as well, uh, you know, take it upon myself and uh, direct mail the people when rates started dropping in 2009 and really never looked back and, you know, spent a lot of time over at guaranteed rate um, for about five or six years with those guys was, you know, one of the top three guys 
there for a lot of years and then got recruited over to Lone Depot as kind of their poster child over there in about 2000, what, 16, 17, um, was over there working under Anthony Shea um, in Lone Depot over there for about two years. Um, and then in about 2000, beginning of 2019, kind of made the decision that I wanted to, you know, stop started making everybody else money. I wanted to kind of do it for myself. I'd saved up a good, good amount of change and decided that I wanted to open up my, uh, my own broker shop at the time, which then at modern lending and here in California. And then really over the course of the last three years, you know, I've expanded into obviously, you know, being, you know, a lender with all of our warehouse lines and funding in about nine or 10 States. And, you know, been really fortunate to, you know, consistently be, you know, a top 10 guy in Scotsman guy to, even though I don't the last couple of years, I don't report because, uh, last two years I did report monster numbers. I got audited by the IRS. And so, uh, I, uh, I learned my lesson. And so, huh. uh, you know, I did last year, a little over 450 million in personal production on that. We did about, yeah, about 700 million in our office, uh, got offices in, uh, Idaho and Arizona and really kind of, uh, really focused a lot of myself when I had sold out of another investment. I had, uh, was actually owned a dispensary. Um, I was kind of a silent partner and got in really early in the cannabis game, kind of 2013 as a kind of a silent partner when it was kind of a, everyone thought you were a drug dealer. So I never told anybody <laughs> about it, you know, even though I uh, had no day to day and sold out of that company in the begin, uh, what's it, no, beginning of 2020 um, at that time and really decided, Hey, yeah, I got a couple million bucks from it. I need to put this somewhere. Um, I don't want to put it in the bank. I don't want to sit there and put it into equities. I don't, I already own a ton of real estate. What do I want to do? Um, and so I really evaluated crypto, really looked in deep down. I kind of thought it was a Ponzi scheme. And when I sink my teeth into something, I obsess about it and, uh, got in and was able to become pretty successful about it. And, uh, then about a year ago with, um, Dan Habib, who owns MBS Highway, his dad's yeah. Barry Habib, and I decided we were going to uh, start basically MBS Highway for the loan officers that are listening, you know, that version for crypto. And so we launched Crypto Charge with some with some VC backing, not monetarily, but just kind of on the, you know, the side of uh, bringing us to market quickly about, well, about nine months ago. And now we have one of the largest uh, crypto research kind of platforms out there teaching people the truth about crypto and how to invest in it safely. Dude, that's incredible, man. Congrats on all the success. Um, you know, I, I'm happy to see people that are successful. I'm even happier for people that made it through the mortgage crash. Uh, similar to you, man, I started in 05, didn't know anything, straight out of college, first job, did the subprime thing, didn't know any difference, it all fell down. Luckily, I fought <laughs> through as well, um, have some success, obviously not as much as you, but it was a tough time to fight through, and I think a lot of people made a name for themselves kind of on their bounce back. Um, you know, obviously yep. for you, you've moved up the ladder quickly, done your own thing, opened your own shop here, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool and it's pretty amazing. Being that successful in the mortgage business, it requires a ton of time. But you've obviously spread your wings through a few different things, and now you're really heavy in the crypto game. And I wanna, I wanna transition there. It's such a great topic. Um, multiple reasons. One, I have finally started to draw some interest in it. There are so many questions around it. To your point, I think you know, based on what you've done so far and your expert opinion stuff, I want to go through some questions to teach the audience on it. Um, you know, I guess the first thing I'll start with is, is you know, why crypto? How did you get involved? What was the light bulb to say, okay, this thing is new. There's a question mark around it. I've got some money. Why that and not sports cards or something else? Why that market? Yeah. And so I saw a survey that came out by Stansberry Research. So Sansbury Research is one of the ultimate research firms 
that are out there. It's pretty much what hedge funds go to as a resource. Ray Dalio is super involved in it as well. That basically said they did a research and they did a survey between individuals between the ages of 25 and 45 years old because there's going to be the single largest transfer of wealth occurring over the last the next decade from the baby boomer generation, you know, and, you know, passing away and passing on their wealth to obviously, you know, Gen X and millennial generations. And it's, you know, you're talking $30 trillion here in the United States of wealth transfer. And they did a, a survey on it and they said, of all the different topics out there of real estate investing, bond investing, stock investing, cryptocurrency investing, our alternative investments out there, um, whether that's you know sports cards or commodities or whatever it is, right. where would you guys kind of put your, your money at? And they were, I was blown away to see that 30% of the respondents said cryptocurrency that they would be investing in. And I saw this and I was like, okay, if Stansberry Research, one of the most elite research firms out there, and mind you, at the time, they were not fans. Ray Dalio at this time was a very big advocate against investing in crypto. And that's what they're finding. Say, I said, okay. And then a gentleman by the name of Michael Saylor, who most people now know, Michael Saylor owned a company called MicroStrategies, which he still does, which was a very, very prominent you know, IT company. And he got a valuation that he's obviously a publicly traded company and he got a valuation done in the valuation that was done. They discounted his company's valuation because he was sitting on a massive mountain of cash. He was sitting on a couple hundred million dollars in cash and they were basically barely valuing his company at its book value and book value, meaning obviously what's the pure, just worth of his assets with plus what the revenue stream coming in, you know, and gives him that book value. And he was like, this doesn't make any sense. And, uh-huh. and the firms that the rating firms out there and, you know, all the different, whether it's Moody's or, you know, JP Morgan's investment arm, they said, well, if you're not growing your cash by 20% per year, we actually discount your valuation for sitting on cash. Uh-huh. And he said, okay, if they're telling me sitting on the United States dollar is a bad thing and that I am so cash heavy that I probably should look at using my cash and investing it somewhere else. And he, so he evaluated gold and he goes, okay, over the last 10 years, gold has pretty much done nothing, you know, and gold isn't really, it's like, okay, store of value, but let's just be realistic. It's not real money. It's not divisible, right? I can't take a gold bar and go to Walmart and pay with it. And gold realistically, other than its pure store of value, doesn't have a lot of utility outside of it. He said, okay, that's not going to work. U.S. Treasuries, we all know two years ago that the United States government began printing money like a crazy person. So he knew that was going to not be an option. He looked at foreign currencies out there and said, well, euro's not doing great. You know, can't exactly go out there and really truly invest in the Chinese market. But they were at the time really heavily hammered by COVID beginning outbreaks. Uh So he started looking at alternative investments and he said, okay, I want what type of investment has a finite supply has the ability to really be more for utility than just a store of value. It can actually accommodate something and I don't have to worry about people coming in and watering down the value of it by simply printing more of it like we do with fiat currency. And so he ended up taking and started buying Bitcoin with his cash reserves and buying massive amounts of it. And this is not a 
you know, a guy that's mine and your age. This guy's, you know, in his mid fifties. This guy is the the stereotypical person that thinks crypto's a Ponzi scheme. And if he's out there doing this with his cash, I'm in a very much smaller position than him with my couple million bucks. Maybe I should follow in his footsteps and research it. And so I really started diving in and I'm like, okay, let me look into the people that actually truly invest in crypto. Right. And that you can actually, and one of the brilliant things about crypto is, is unlike the world of stocks, you have order books in the world of stock markets. Not a lot of people know this in an order book. So let's say TD Ameritrade or JP Morgan, any of your, your exchanges, they have an order book that they can see all the limit orders that people have certain buy or sell orders in on particular stock markets. You, Brian, can't see it. I can't, Brian, see it. So I have a really unfair advantage because JP Morgan can sit there and be like, wait, there's a ton of limit orders to buy Tesla stock at $700. Okay, guess what? I can actually purchase, I can sell a bunch of it, bring it down, have those orders get filled. They can manipulate their order books because they're not transparent. All right. Well, in the cryptocurrency space, it's an open ledger, meaning this. At any one point in time, I can see exactly every individual, I don't know their name, but I can see their wallet address on an open ledger that says all of these people own this much Bitcoin, this much Ethereum. I can do that and see it. And so it gives me a fair advantage. There's no more smoke and mirrors. Mm -hmm. And then I realized it's programmed money. Bitcoin in and of itself is being released at a rate of approximately 6.75 Bitcoin for every block that's mine. Uh -huh. Meaning I can't, nobody can go out there and make more Bitcoin. That you, you physically can't right. do it. When a certain amount of mathematical problems are verified on a blockchain, the individuals that verify it and win, called mining, uh -huh. are rewarded with this Bitcoin. And there'll only be ever 21 million of them and there's 6.75 being released approximately every 10 minutes. So I'm like, wait, nobody can make more of it. Nobody can just all of a sudden water the value down of it. It's now been around for 13, 11 years at this point, And it stood the test of time. And I started looking into the individuals that actually owned Bitcoin. And I was like, these guys are a lot smarter than me. It wasn't a bunch of the black market, you know, Silk Road type of guys, sure. right? And and I started seeing institutions started buying it. So I was like, okay, let me really start to look into this. Wow. Okay, cool. So you discovered that. You went all in. You're, you're, you're where you're at now. I guess, you know, for the people that are watching, a couple easy ones for you. So why in the beginning did you think that crypto was a scam? I thought cryptocurrency was a scam because I knew nothing about it and I couldn't touch it. I was like, wait, this is magic internet money, right? Mm. That's what this is. It's magic internet money that I don't know how I keep it. I heard these horror stories of people losing their Bitcoin on these USB drives. I heard all these stories about the way, you know, Silk Road used it for people to have Bitcoin to buy illegal drugs. Mm -hmm. I thought all of that, that that was what Bitcoin was. And I didn't understand the actual like tokenomics behind it or, or the economics, we call it tokenomics in the crypto world, but the simple like macroeconomics, like we would think about in, in housing, right? If, if I know in housing and I understand in housing that the type of financing that is being used to finance homes is those kind of fog up a mirror loans, like you have a pulse, you can get a loan, the value at which houses are appreciating, 
I don't take it as serious because I'm like, these housing values are being propped up artificially by people being given access to capital that they really don't have any ability to repay back. This is going to be a, a collapsing amount of cards. And when I looked into Bitcoin, I was like, okay, wait, it doesn't work like that. Bitcoin, every transaction that is done and I purchase it, everybody could see it at the same time. The value isn't just, oh, I own this magic little coin. No, the Bitcoin as a network is the most secure network in the world. They have actually have multiple foundations out there with multiple million dollar rewards. If somebody could break in and hack into Bitcoin's network mm. and they, nobody's been able to do it to this day. The right. closest they've got would be like if I had a six foot concrete wall and I sat there and threw a penny at that concrete wall, the impact that it would leave on that concrete wall is the closest anybody has ever got to Bitcoin as a network. And so it made me realize, wow, because why is, why is the internet valuable today? We can't invest really in the internet protocol. Nobody owns shares of you know HTTPS, right? right. But what, what is valuable are all the applications that are now on the internet, right? Facebook, Google, all those applications. So what Bitcoin and Ethereum have given is the everyday individual to buy a share of the next internet because that is what Bitcoin is used to transact with money. It's used not only as store of value, but Ethereum, which is kind of its, you know, I always take it this way. Bitcoin is gold, Ethereum is oil. If I was gonna compare it to the regular day world, mm. right? Well, Ethereum is what the new internet is being built on, which is called decentralized or Web3, yep. as many people call it, right? And so I knew that if something has stood the last 13 years, in this case, is Bitcoin, and what started out as pennies has every single time has gone up from its previous halving, which basically uh, kind of simply put, Every roughly four years, the amount of Bitcoin that is paid to a miner every approximately 10 minutes for verifying these transactions on the network, that goes down by 50%. So I know that in approximately in this case, four, roughly 400 and something, a little bit more than that. So what does that be? May of roughly May of 2025 or 24, May of 2024, another halving is going to occur where instead of 6.75 Bitcoin, we drop down and we get a little over three Bitcoin. Yep. Well, guess what? What happens with anything? Look at housing. What happens when we automatically reduce the supply of something? Yep. Okay. It's easy. Like I, I could take any single person right now and I could say, hey, if you put $10,000 into Bitcoin, it may drop down to $7,000 sometime between now and May of 2024. Mm -hmm. But I bet both of my children's life on it that by May of 2025, that that $10,000 will be worth at least fifteen to $17,000. Yeah. Guaranteed. Yep. Probably more. Right. Like, but guaranteed because I know what the supply will be and I know that Bitcoin as a network is growing twice as fast in adoption than the internet ever did. It's the fastest growing thing of our, of our time, right? 
And that's what that's where I think a lot of the the passion comes from. Dude, that's crazy because I mean I've had this conversation with a couple of buddies of mine, one in particular. And we talk about this all the time, which is what is the future? You know, what's getting in the way? If you rewind two years ago, I mean, you know, uh, crypto was just kind of a conversation. It wasn't really in society. Now, Bitcoin, you know, you can do it. You can go to Subway and get a sandwich. You can go to the Mavs game and hang out. It's not going away at all. It's not going away. It's just a matter of time. Uh, before it gets deeper implemented in society. And I also think that's one of the things that people don't understand it, including me, but people that really don't understand it, they're waiting for it to get in the fabric of society from a currency I can pay stuff here and there. So it's kind of funny because the last year or so, you know, crypto went up and then it kind of surged and it kind of flattened here and there. And so a couple of things I would love to get your opinion on two things. One, um, is there going to be any change or what's your opinion if crypto gets regulated in the U.S., what will it do to the value, to the perception? And then the second thing would be, you know, how long, months, years, in your opinion, till crypto is just, you know, as normal as the dollar? Yeah. So first thing is, so the big thing that we all saw that came out and everything that people have to understand specifically about crypto, it's no different than any other market. It runs in cycles and these cycles if you understand them and follow them are very easy. You and I both very well know from spending a significant amount of time in the mortgage and real estate industry, we very well know every single year that housing inventory would go up. We know, guess what? Home values aren't going to appreciate as much. They're going to likely come down. It's a simple, it's a simple, we can, we know that, you know, relationship one-to-one, -one. right? Mortgage interest rates shoot through the roof like they have in the last 90 days. Guess what? Home values aren't going to appreciate at 20% this year, like they did last year. We know that because we know that relation, it will slow it down to the extent of house prices dropping. Probably not, but it'll, it'll slow that rate of appreciation down. We know that. We know the way stock market works. It runs in cycles. It runs uh -huh. in bull markets. We, we know these things. Crypto is exactly like that. There's certain things that happen in a crypto market. For an example, like the halving cycle. We know because there's been three Bitcoin halvings. Every single time a Bitcoin halving was every four years. After that halving, there's a decrease in supply that is being released every day into the crypto markets. Uh -huh. About six months after that halving, we see a bull run start. That bull run starts anywhere between go length from nine months to 15 months of a bull run that we get where it's these crazy parabolic going up. Then what happens is it sells off and then it reaches an accumulation phase and it stays in that accumulation phase until approximately another bull having cycle and it shoots up again and then comes back down to not as low and then accumulates again. So when you, when you understand that, it gives you a lot of, confidence in knowing that, Hey, like, and I sold all my Bitcoin, almost all my Bitcoin at 64 to $69,000. Like I, I, I knew that that was the top. I could have thought it went a little higher. I'm not saying I, I nailed it perfectly, but I nailed it really good. Like yeah. it, it's pretty much as good as you can. And I know right now that we have something called an altcoin season that is likely going to be coming with us. That typically happens every time Bitcoin reaches its peak. We usually see an altcoin season following in the coming months. This one got pushed back a little bit because we had Fed regulation. We had Fed tightening of money policy, mm -hmm. right? And one of the big things that came out was in November, we saw the Fed come out and say, hey, we're going to really hammer down and actually fiscally tighten. And what happens when we see fiscal tightening? Anything that's a risky asset, stocks, crypto, it sells off. And we have never seen Fed 
flipped the switch as hard as it did on the markets as we just saw the Fed go ahead and do because they waited too long. Right. So we saw what should have happened in an altcoin season, probably in January or February, get pushed off because we had a black swan event of Russia and Ukraine and we had the Fed tightening coming out. Now what we've just seen is we started to see the markets and Bitcoin's appetite start to actually come up, which is why Bitcoin has now come off of its lows of 33,000 mm -hmm. and it's up to the 42 range, you know, as of the time we're shooting this. And what really pushed that next trigger was, was regulation. We all have been saying, and people have this big misunderstanding that crypto enthusiasts don't want federal regulation. We want the exact opposite. Yep. We want federal regulation because it gives us clarity yep. in what we're doing. Correct. That's what we want. Why do we want that? Because that's what institutions want. And there's already a lot of institutions in the crypto space, but your big, big, heavy players, well, they'll go ahead and put 5% to their portfolio. A BlackRock goes in and says, hey, I want to allocate 5% you know, of my portfolio. Instead of 0.01% of my portfolio in crypto now, I'll put in 5%, but I need to know how the Fed is going to treat this. Yep. And we got last month, Biden came out and said in his letter, in his executive order and said, hey, Crypto is here to stay. The United States is not the enemy of cryptocurrency. What we need to do is understand exactly how we can regulate this properly. So we are putting two separate bodies together to come out with some true key regulations on when something is considered a security, when it's not considered a security, and we're going to start going out. And that and that right there gave the crypto markets a, oh, okay. They the U.S. government is not going to be the enemy because right now, me and you are smart guys, but we're not the smartest guys in the world, and especially not the smartest guys at the federal government. They know the United States has an opportunity in front of it, like we haven't had since the tech boom that made this country great. Yep. Because China's come out because China wants to control everything. They don't want cryptocurrencies. Russia, the second, another big power, they're at war with themselves. The United States now, we've already identified that Miami is a major hub for cryptocurrency. We've identified that Texas is a major hub for mining of cryptocurrency assets. We have an opportunity in front of us to become great again in this world by being a leader in the cryptocurrency space. And we are going to stay committed to doing this. We are not going to ban it. So that is about 20% of where we need to be with regulation. But that set the tone that everybody was so terrified of, of, hey, is the government going to make it illegal to own cryptocurrency? Right. And they made it very poignant, no. And that's what, look what we've seen since. We've now come out and literally seen Shopify. Now is completely integrated with cryptocurrency. We've now seen PayPal. We've seen Cash App. We've now seen Bank of America, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan Chase. All of these banks are now working towards taking custody of cryptocurrency assets. They know, just like we know in the world of mortgage, a mortgage retail bank or a mortgage wholesale broker is far better for a consumer's options and them walking into Bank of America, right? Sure. Bank of America, we, we know that. Bank of America knows that, hey, we're gonna start losing all of our banking accounts if these guys can go in there 
and buy cryptocurrency and put it into these protocols that are earning 15 to 20 percent mm -hmm. and they're going to be changing all their cash and pulling it out of our deposits we better get on the bandwagon and be a leader in the space. And that's what we're seeing happen right now. Which is good. I think that statement from Biden eliminates some of the fear, uh, which is good. It gives it a little bit of clarity. It needs more. I think some of the other fear that's out there, in my opinion, is just lack of knowledge. And the more it gets implemented, the more it's click by click and it gets into society, people will buy into it. But especially with inflation, printing the dollar here and there, you can't do that with crypto. Um, and I think people are also seeing that even from afar, which has them kind of peeking, you know, uh, into what is this and why. Um, and obviously, you know, getting more into the discovery mode of what I did and obviously where you're way down the path on that and trying to figure out exactly where this thing's going to go and why, which kind of my next question for you is, so knowing what you know right now, what do you think, where do you think crypto is going in 22 and 23 from a value, from a society, or is it kind of at a standstill until we get more regulation, until the Bitcoin having? What are your thoughts over the next 12 to 24 months? Yeah, absolutely. And, and here's what I tell everybody is, is first off, crypto needs to be a portion of everybody's portfolio, but it doesn't need to be an out of proportion portion. Mm. So I have always said that like, when I went in and put money into crypto, at the time I put in maybe 15% of what my net worth would have been into crypto. Now that grew dramatically because my investment grew. So of course now it's you know a larger portion. I mean, I probably have 40% of my liquidity is in various types of cryptocurrency assets, mm -hmm. but it wasn't it wasn't designed to be that way. My you know I seven xed my investment, so it and I pulled it out. Now, what I, I tell everybody is, is you need to have a balanced portfolio. Now, what you have to understand most importantly about cryptocurrency is this. If I said, I own a stock, your next question would be, what stock do you own, yep. right? Well, how are you invested? However, when I say I own crypto, they say, oh, that's cool. You have to understand that cryptocurrency is just like equities and that there are 7,000 cryptocurrencies out there and 6,800 of them are BS. Right. There's, there's, they are literally startup companies. Just like how you wouldn't invest in every single startup out there, uh -huh. you should not be investing in every single cryptocurrency out there. Cryptocurrencies in and of itself have segments. For an example, you have a store of value segment, which is something like Bitcoin. Its sole purpose of Bitcoin is to act like gold or act like a dividend stock, right? Uh -huh. It's a store of value play that isn't going to have a tremendous amount of utility outside of a store of value and being a, a secure payment network to get people in. Then you have what they would call smart contract plays. And those would be like the internet, the new internet. And those will include things like Ethereum or Solana or Polkadot, uh -huh. or those types of things. And what they're designed for, right now, we go to the internet, and guess what? If there's nothing we didn't, there's one thing we learned in the last two years, that we do not live in a world where free speech exists. We can be 100% at any moment in time, we can have our voices shut down, we can be kicked off platforms, the media at which we consume is not really media, it's a movie that they wanna play us, right? It's that old saying like, television is really tell a vision, right? right? Like what you want to be able to do. And so what we saw from an adoption standpoint is people woke up over COVID. They really realized, wait, CNBC isn't really reporting the news. They're reporting their narrative, right? right? 
And I don't care what side people of, you know, what side people are on of a political coin. Both sides can agree now that they were woken up to that. And now a smart contract play, for example, like Ethereum, Ethereum through what's called Web3 is literally a decentralized internet. Mm -hmm. Nobody can shut it down. Nobody could tell you, hey, Brian, you can't go on Twitter and say Biden stinks, right? Guess what? I can. Just like somebody else can say, you know, I love Biden. He's my very best friend in the entire world, right? right? It's decentralized, meaning there is nobody running Ethereum. It is a protocol, just like there's nobody running the internet. What's running the internet are the applications that are put on the internet, right? And so you are having in which a world that people want to be decentralized or be able to have free speech or be able to not have all of their data be held by Google and Facebook, right? And that's what people don't understand. Like Google and Facebook run the world because they're data collectors. They know every movement we're going to make. They put in front of us what we want to buy at any point in any time. They know everything about us at any real one point in time. Well, people don't necessarily like that as much anymore. That's, that's something that's happened. So a, a, an internet protocol or like an Ethereum or those type of things, it's a smart contract. And betting on them isn't betting on, I like crypto. It is betting on the fact that as we move in society, more and more people are going to want to get away from having all of their information in a centralized location like Google and Facebook that are controlling the world yep. and are going to want to be more, have the ability that nobody owns my data but me in a centralized, secure environment, far more secure than Google or Facebook. And then you have other protocols, for an example, on things in this which way, which would be like like uh, what they call um, oracles. So right now, you and I, if we want to go ahead and we want to feed mortgage rates into our website, we can go and buy an API from Mortgage Daily, right? Feed right. right in. It's an API. It feeds it in, and whatever our website shows is whatever the rates Mortgage Daily is. Sure. Well, guess what? That is a centralized feed. If Mortgage Daily messes up their rates or they're not reporting the accurate rates or whatever, we're, we're, we're displaying that information. Mm-hmm. So what an Oracle does is it gathers all of the information from all of these various sites, say it's gold price, they uh, gather the information from 30 different gold providers, feed them in and blend them and give us a decentralized version to feed in data. And that's being used all over the place right uh-huh. now, right? And then you have gaming crypto, you have all these different things. So each one of these different segments is gonna evolve a little bit differently over the next two years. Now, where I see cryptocurrency going, my personal belief, Bitcoin, will not make a new all-time high this year. My bet is it will not make a new all-time high. I think Bitcoin, personally speaking, this year is going to get up to about fifty-five dollars to $58,000 in that route. We'll get, as soon as we kind of get over about a $46,000, $47,000 threshold, it's kind of the ceiling that we've been stuck under for the Mm -hmm. last several months. Once that happens, FOMO exists in the world. Every retail trader, every guy that, you know, is an amateur crypto guy is like, Bitcoin's making a new high, 100 grand, here we come. Let me go and they ape into it. It'll send it up to 58,000, but they're gonna run out of steam. And what you're gonna see happen is it'll run up there. And then what you'll see is all of the alternative cryptocurrencies, like your your different kind of Ethereum's, your Solana's, your Polkadot's, all these other ones, they'll make a run. Most of them will get very close to all-time highs or they'll create new all-time highs. Once that occurs and that cycle plays out, which that'll be somewhere in my personal meeting between now and the end of July is when we're going to see all that. Then after that, it'll come down, probably lose 
50% of its value, Bitcoin will probably come back down to the low 30,000s and it'll trade sideways again all the way into the next halving. And then we go on that bulk run run. And that's what people have to understand is what's cool. Every time Bitcoin creates a new all-time high, it never falls below its previous all-time high. So what it means is a Bitcoin previous all-time high was 1800 and it ran up to $20,000 like it did in 2017. Even at the worst of the market, it only got down to $3,500. Then from that $3,500, it ran up, created a new all-time high at 69,000. Well, it's gonna fall down. It will not fall below that previous all-time high of $20,000. And if it does, it completely undoes all of the price history that we've done and the way markets work for the last 13 years. And if the last 13 years it's been that way, I'm not gonna be the one to believe it's not going to continue to be there. And so that's kind of the pattern by which, and the, the second, the very second that the XRP and SEC lawsuit gets settled. So for, for people that, I don't wanna get too granular, but for, for people that don't understand what, what's happening right now with a lot of the regulation, XRP, which is owned by Ripple Labs, issued their cryptocurrency. And then when they do that, when you issue a cryptocurrency, you can do it one of two ways. You can do what they call is fair-minded, which was what Bitcoin does. Nobody got any Bitcoin to start out. They simply said, hey guys, anybody wants to come in here and solve all these mathematical equations called mining, we'll reward you by going ahead and giving you Bitcoin. But you gotta work for it, and it's gonna be this amount per time. And Bitcoin is fair-mind that way, the same way Ethereum was. They're fair-mind that way. You can also do another one, which is they'll say, hey, just like you do with the stock, or an, we call them an IPO in the stock world. It's called an ICO in the crypto world. Hey guys, there's this new cryptocurrency coming out. It's gonna be a new fast payment method. Here's what you guys do. And they marketed it and people went in and bought this cryptocurrency, XRP, just like they did a lot of them. And what ended up happening was all these years later after that happened, six years later, the SEC slams XRP with a lawsuit and said, you guys sold a security. You were not a licensed security. You were not licensed to sell securities. You're in trouble. We are coming after you and we're suing you for billions of dollars. And there's just been this hard battle that's being fought between XRP and the SEC for the last year and a half. And what just happened is the SEC closed their discovery. And right now, the entire attorney, the judge is highly favoring XRP and SEC is looking like it's getting its butt kicked. They're losing over and over again in the arguments. And when this comes down, that we should be seeing a settlement probably within the next two to six months. If that comes down and it is a settlement for anything less than the fines they're going after, it's going to be a major win for the XRP and the entire cryptocurrency space. And it's going to set the precedent that now we have case law in the cryptocurrency space and we're gonna see cryptocurrencies really take off and we're, it's gonna force the SEC to actually, you, it's like I can't scream at my kids for making their bed if I never told them they're responsible for making their bed. Right. I can't go back to them and be like, hey, three years ago, Kinsley, when you didn't make your bed, you're grounded for the next month. She's like, dad, you didn't tell me to make my bed three years ago, you just told me today. So that's what's happening. And so when that occurs, all bets could potentially be off in the crypto world. 
if it really favors XRP with what it's looking like it could be. Yeah, I totally agree, man. You know, you are what society needs for the inside track on crypto. I think that's one of the things like, you know, that people just want to know all these things. You've turned over all these rocks. You've got a ton of discovery. You've got evidence of success. You've got data uh, from the past. You know what's going on right now. And I think you know what's going to happen in the future for the most part. I think that's what people um, are eager to know, to discover. Uh, I like your idea about people wanting to have some of their privacy back. They're not trying to be secretive. They're just trying to be private to your point, everything is out there with Google, Facebook, all that. They're aware of it. COVID made us even more aware because it turned into a 100% digital game for a minute. And people have that aha moment now and they're trying to scale back. So um, I, I totally agree with you on that for 22 and 23. Listen, before we go, I want to make sure the audience follows you, dude. Um, go ahead and shout out all your handles, everything else. You've got great info and I want to make sure people put their eyeballs on you. Where can you be found? Yeah, absolutely, guys. Everyone can follow me on Instagram. It's at the Brian Decker, and it's Brian with an I, um, at the Brian Decker. I have a lot of spammers and a lot of bots and all that stuff out there. And then also, too, you can follow our crypto channel. It's at CryptoCharged with a D. Um, and that's what we did is we created a crypto research platform. We got a couple thousand subscribers. It's really inexpensive. I think it's like we have it as like 700 bucks for the year, and it's every single day. For like 30 minutes, we go live. We tell you what to buy, where to buy it, how to buy it, because truthfully, we did it and we lose a tremendous amount of money at that rate. But what we did is we knew that somebody had to come out with a crypto education platform that made it simple to get people to truly understand because the last thing you want to do is be taking crypto advice from a YouTuber who's 20 years old and has $12 in his bank account and is literally trying to just get subscribers to get money to buy crypto. And that's all that was out there. And so that's why we created that. Guys, definitely check it out. I think we even have like a two or three week trial for anybody that goes in there. Um, and you guys want to put in there, it gives you a free two or three week trial to check it out. But like I said, for anybody out there, I don't care how old you are, you need to do yourself a service and start understanding crypto. Don't be like my grandpa who said that nobody's gonna wanna talk to each other, you know, over text messages. We'll just pick up the phone. Look where that, you know, look where that right. got us today. Right, dude, well, I'll tell you what, I'm sold. You're fixing to have a new client here in about 30 minutes. I'm gonna go link up, subscribe, because <laughs> this interview has been incredible. It makes me eager to wanna learn more. Dude, I, I wanna thank you for your time, man. You are so freaking valuable, so freaking incredible. We gotta run this back a second time. Um, you share everything Absolutely. you want with the audience. I really, really appreciate you, man. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for all the value. Hey, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on, Brian. Cool, brother. Have a good one.